Well, I titled the sermon, Gospel-Rooted Relationships. Gospel-Rooted Relationships. And we're going to finish up in chapter 15 and then move on into uh, chapter 16. So let's start in chapter 15. Paul, uh, I kind of titled this Partners in Prayer. Paul puts in a prayer request, as it were, to the, the church in Rome. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Holy Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And then he gives this blessing, this prayer, may the God of peace be with you all, amen. And you be tempted to think, well, that's it, it's over. He finished the book. But we know chapter 16 is still waiting. So let's consider this. This is a fascinating thing to, to, uh, to glimpse of Paul's understanding of our role in praying for the work of the gospel in one another and in, around the world, really. He speaks of it as striving together. Strive together with me, Roman church, he says. Strive with me in prayer. War for me. Lift your prayers up that I may uh, be protected, right? So he's heading to Jerusalem. He has a loved gift from Macedonia that he wants to bless Jerusalem and the saints therewith. But he knows what awaits him in Jerusalem, right? In, in Judea. There are many who absolutely hate Paul. They know who he was and that he was ravaging the church. And then all of a sudden God saved him. And now he's a church planter. And for 20 years he's been laboring in that work, effectively so. So if they catch word that he's coming home to Jerusalem, they are going to come after him. And, and it's easy for us to kind of look and say, well, yeah, but that, we know he's gonna be okay. Well, but, but Paul didn't know how it was gonna go. Every time he set sail, it could have been his final mission, his final trip. And so as he's riding, he says, guys, listen, pray for me. I'm going into hostile territory. And I want to bless the saints there. And then I can't wait to come to you. But, but at first, we've got to get past this step. And so join me in prayer and bless me in that way and, and pray for protection. It, it reminds us that prayer is effective. Prayer is, is an important thing for us to practice in our lives. It's not just kind of something you're supposed to do. No, it is a weapon that God has ordained be wielded in the Christian life for the advancement of the gospel and for one another. We are to to strive. Look at that word strive. Come with me, run with me, lean into this with me in prayer. And it's just just a special thing. So um, that's kind of how chapter 15 ends. And then Paul says, you know, under inspiration, brothers, there's more. I'm not done. There's some people that I want to greet. And uh, so heartfelt greetings, that's the bulk of these verses here today. Let's spend some time just moving through these heartfelt greetings. First of all, let's step back and just ask, why would Paul do this? Why would he spend all of the, the, the work and the time to log all of these names? As you see in your sermon notes, there are many names here. What's he doing? Well, in a day where there is no email, no cell phones, 
There is no U.S. Postal Service, right? This is a rare opportunity for Paul to send his love. And he does so with the word greet. It shows up over and over and over in here. Greet. Well, what is that? What's that mean? It means I care for this person. Make sure they know it. Make sure you greet them on my behalf. I love them and I want to send my love in this letter. So the rare opportunity for Paul to greet these people, people he has met all over the place over the last 20 years of his ministry that he now knows are in Rome. And so he sends his greeting, sends his love to them by way of this letter. And it's amazing in that it is inspired. These names are forever now canonized in the word of God and, and regarded for us to, to bless us. Every word matters. So there's example here for us as well. Treasured relationships. Here's how I'd like to encourage us to think about this. The currency of the kingdom is people. Think of it. We are to be rich in relationship. We have been loved lavishly and we are called then to overflow that love to one another, to be rich in relationship. Frankly, at the end of our lives, that's what matters, isn't it? People don't stand up at funerals and say, oh, well, he, he sure had a lot of chickens. It was pretty impressive. He had a lot of, you know, what, you know, had 10 Lamborghinis. Who cares? I'll tell you what matters most. People, people. I remember when I first got a camera, I was a young guy, and man, back, you, okay, you kids don't get, like, cameras back then, you had to buy film for, okay, and it wasn't cheap, so you don't just randomly take pictures like you can now with digital cameras and your phones and all that. If you had a camera, you had, what was it, uh, like 24 shots, and that's it, and I, I, man, I was going around the house, I'm like, oh, that plant, look at that plant, bam, Got that plant. And I'm taking pictures of everything in the house. And I'll never forget my dad saying, Jer, trust me, people. Take pictures of people. The stuff in our home, it doesn't really matter. It's the people. So put people in your pictures and trust me, you'll, you'll be glad you did. And sure enough, my first roll of film, I took it to the store, <laughs> waited, got it developed, picked it up, paid more than I was hoping. And then I got a picture of a plant. <laughs> you know, and my dad was totally right. It's people. Friends, for believers, all the more. This is the currency of the kingdom. Relationships. That's why the church is such a special gift. It's a treasure. And Paul has traveled around and planted churches and he's got all these points of contact in Rome. And he wants to esteem them, honor them, encourage them, send his love to them. Look at this, 27 individuals that are mentioned here by Paul. And two families, uh, people in those families who are believers, and he addresses those as well. So let's just take our time and move through these and then consider this example. Um, you might even think as we go through this list, if I were to make a list of people who have impacted my life, in a tremendous way, spiritually especially, as believers, people who have shaped my faith, who would be on my list of greetings? Who, who would I want to esteem and honor and thank? And frankly, that may be homework this week. 
Maybe you make a list, spend some time, send some text messages out. People you see laboring in the gospel, people who have blessed you, people who serve alongside you, encourage them, bless them. Look at what Paul does here. Let's do this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the, Lord, uh, of the church at Sincre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a, pat- a patron of many and of myself as well. So first of all, Phoebe is in her own category. He uses the word commend, which sets her apart from everyone else's greeted, greet, 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 which means they're there. He's, he's commending Phoebe to the Roman church, which means she's being sent. She's, she's being sent by Paul to Rome. So a few things we discern from this. Number one, I believe that Phoebe is the woman that was chosen to hand deliver this book, inspired book of the New Testament to the Roman church. There's one copy. This isn't like Xerox age, you know, where you don't just pop in the office and make a bunch of copies. No, this has been painstakingly written over the past three months and gone over. The, 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 the Spirit of God has inspired Paul to write these words, and they are the Word of God. And think of the honor that it is that Phoebe has been chosen to take this, this letter and bless the church in Rome. She is described as a servant. That is the word diakonos. It's, a, it's the word deacon that we, that we understand at the church at Sincre. This is no small thing to consider. This is an official office or title that she held. And the, uh, the New Testament describes this as one who serves. Okay, So there's elders and there's deacons presented in uh, the New Testament in, in, in 1 Timothy, for example. Uh, The elders, the bishop, elder, those are those who are called to preach and teach the word. Um, The pastors, the elders, that office is restricted to men by Paul, makes it very clear. The Lord, through Paul's writing, makes that that office is, is to be for men. However, the office of deacon is for men and for women. And Phoebe is a deaconess, as it were. She has been a proven servant of the Lord at the church in Sincre, which is, by the way, just southeast of Corinth, likely a church plant by Corinth in, in a port city near Corinth. And so she has labored to serve. She probably has helped with the, the, uh, the ministry to the widows in this church, helping with the women's ministry in all kinds of different ways, doing a number of different things, and then think the noble task of carrying this book to Rome. Sometimes uh, it's just, uh, it, it just has to be said, this is a demonstration of the very prominent role that women carried in the early church and still do to this day. Very significant. He calls the Roman church to warmly welcome her and to help her. Now, why would he say that? Help her as, with whatever she needs. Give her, give her a hand. Well, she's a woman traveling what sounds to be alone. She, he, he doesn't say welcome the the entourage or welcome them. He's commending her. So she's by herself traveling as a woman in this day, which was a risky venture as it was. And she's coming to Rome alone 
which means hospitality, food. Make sure she has protection. If she has business in Rome, then then do what you can to give her a hand with that. She was a wealthy woman who had given support uh, both to the ministry of Paul, but many others there in Corinth. And uh, so in a sense, he's saying she has been a blessing and helped in so many different ways, helped me and helped others. Bless her in the same way, liberally, freely, give and help, welcome her. She is a sister in the Lord. So as we look at all of these names listed, I just want to draw your attention to the women in Paul's ministry, okay? It is significant that of the list given here, 10 of these individuals are women, okay? Now, God did not choose to author the book of Romans by a woman. He did indeed choose to deliver the book at the hand of a woman. That's a significant statement in itself. So look at the list here. I'll I'll help you uh, discern. I'm pretty sure we're right on on most of these names as as ladies. The list begins with two women. Uh, Phoebe and Prisca are mentioned first in all of this list. Then Mary is included. She's an older woman, woman likely. Junia, and then a pair of sisters likely. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Persis, who is also probably older. Uh, Julia is mentioned. And then the mother of Rufus is mentioned in this list. And the sister of Nerus. So 10 ladies prominent in this work. And it just must be said, when at times the restrictions that women are not to hold in the church can get all the attention, I think it's good for us to notice how vast the opportunities are for women to work and serve and bless in the church. Specifically, the office of pastor, elder, shepherd is reserved for men. And the preaching work of the word with authority is reserved for men when it comes to the congregation. However, women can freely preach to women and teach women. And the young children coming up, oftentimes raised and taught and and shepherded by women in the church. Then you get into the deaconess role and all the expressions of serving. We have functional deaconesses working in all kinds of ways in our church every week. So it's good for us to to, to remember, rather than locking in on the things that that women are not allowed to do by the, by the, the, the decision of the Lord in that role, there are most things that women can. Just a crash course in this, since we're not in 1 Timothy, um, men and women are equal in value and dignity, created by God, male and female, and at the same time, in the church and in the family, assign differing roles, differing roles to the glory of God, okay? And so uh, there is an authority and submission operating just as in Trinity, there is in the church and in the home. The husband is the head of, of his wife, not more important, not, not better, no. He is to fulfill the role of servant leader in the home. The wife is called to joyfully submit to her husband as unto the Lord, right? Not mindlessly or as a doormat, but wisely and joyfully from the heart. Embracing his leadership, his assigned leadership in the home by God. So too in the church, men are to be the elders, the pastors, the shepherds and they are to fill the role that God has assigned them. They are not 
above the women, they are submitting to Christ as we all together submit to Christ, fulfilling the role that they are given. We are called to be faithful to these things, and I will just say this, in our day, this is less and less a commitment of scripture to be practiced. The cultural pressure is pushing in, and we, we, we call back the best way is always God's way. So embrace it with joy, don't hesitate. We see these things uh, proclaimed in the word, and Paul taught these things, but he also modeled a broad involvement of women in his ministry. So it's important to do that. Don't, don't ever think about restrictions beyond what scripture restricts. Some churches, they, they make it so that women can't do anything hardly in the church. That's crazy. That's wrong. We're not Pharisees here. We don't add to the scripture. We want to be faithful to what the word of God says and don't go beyond it. So it just is, is significant to me and it just jumped out again as I saw that list. I'm like, look at all the ladies here who have had massive contribution to the work of the gospel in the advancing early church days. Now, Prisca and Aquila, he addresses, my fellow workers greet them in Jesus Christ. They risk their lives for their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church uh, in their house. So we meet Prisca and Aquila. Paul always refers to her as Prisca, and Luke, Dr. Luke, uses her more for formal name, which is Priscilla, okay? So uh, it, she, she and her husband show up all over the New Testament. They're in all kinds of places. Uh, Second Timothy, the book of Acts, they show up. Um, I think there's another reference as well, and then here. They were like early church missionaries. These people were amazing. It was a couple, married couple, committed to the advancing of the gospel. He was a fellow tent maker and uh, worker in the gospel. They met when they were expelled from Rome by Claudius, kicked out of Rome because of their Jewish uh, background. They went to Corinth, and that's where they ran into Paul. And uh, they were like, how can we help? What can we do? We want to be a blessing. And Paul's like, well, come with me to Ephesus. We'll work together. So they did. They moved to Ephesus. And they labored with Paul in the gospel and plant, planting the church there. Um, now they have come back to Rome for a while. And not long after uh, he finishes writing this letter and is delivered to Rome, then they move to Ephesus again. They were courageous and selfless at some point along the way. We don't know the story. We don't know what was happening. But it says that they, they risked their necks. I'm talking guillotine here, right? This is serious, death-on-the-line stuff. They took their, their position in protection of Paul at risk of their own lives. And Paul is deeply grateful to them. Basically, he's saying, I owe them my life. And that's the reason why all the Gentile churches thank them as well, because I have been working in all of these churches in part because of what they did to help rescue me. Um, so, significant thing. The other thing I note here is they're, they're hosting one of the Roman house churches. Remember this, back in the day, churches weren't, they didn't have big buildings. Often they would meet in, in homes. And so you have multiple expressions, outlets of, of churches. One church, different houses that they gathered in. Um, they also hosted a church in Ephesus in their home. So I just love this. I want to point this out. This is an example of a missional, purposeful marriage. How can we bless? As a couple, how can we serve? I watched this morning 
Um, we have couples who serve together in the children's ministry. They serve side by side together. I love that. What can you do if you're married to leverage your marriage for the kingdom? Think about that. Pray about that together. What can we do to help and serve the advance of the gospel? They also practiced purposeful hospitality. You know that, that hospitable is one of the qualifications for elder in the New Testament? To be hospitable. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you, you see your home as an opportunity to minister. You, you, you open up your, your home, you find ways to bless, and you have people over purposely to engage and, and shepherd and, and connect. I think this was a good example of that. What has God given us? How can we leverage it for kingdom work? Okay, let's go on. Greet my beloved Epineus, uh, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. So this guy is referred to as a beloved brother. This is, this is, a, this is a man who is dear to Paul. He speaks in this way, and it's not weird. Let's be clear, it's not weird. This is great. My dear friend, my close friend, Epinetus is in Rome. Do you guys know who this guy is? He's the first convert in Asia. I was there. It's like Paul wants to just break in and tell the story. I saw God save him. Now he's with you. Spend time with him, right? Get to know this man. Learn, listen, grow under him. He encourages and sends his love to Epinetus. And then he speaks about Mary. This is fascinating. Mary, in the past tense now, who has worked hard for you. So it's likely here that this is an older woman who is now unable to do what she had been doing for years, serving, ministering, blessing. And Paul just wants to draw attention to this. She is to be honored. She is to be encouraged. Make sure to greet her. Bless her. I'm so proud of her hard work. The word labor there, she worked hard for you. It means, it means like sweat and tears, right? She poured herself out to bless the church in Rome. Once again, note that. Paul sees that, esteems that, and singles her out, even as an older woman in the church now who's not able to do what she used to do. He points that out. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. This is an amazing couple as well, married couple. Um, my kinsmen, I believe it's likely relatives of Paul. In fact, it's, there's a rare occasion that Paul talks about his blood relatives. Never talks about his dad or his mom. But here he references what I think would be relatives. Also in verse 11, you see him say as well, um, my kinsmen. So um, I think he's talking about distant relatives um, who now also are believers and have spent time in jail, like Paul, is in and out of jail all the time. He said, these are my fellow prisoners. They've done time for the gospel. Honor them, esteem them, let them tell their story, follow their example. They're known even to the apostles all the way back in Jerusalem. They're known. Their partnership, their work in the gospel is, is, is renowned. And they were in Christ before Paul. What does that mean? Well, rewind the tape. Just think. Especially if you're related to, to Saul 
and the gospel gets a hold of you and you are saved and then you know that in your family there is one who is ravaging the church, persecuting and killing Christians and you begin to pray for him. Lord, save him. It may be that God was answering the prayers of this couple in part when he saved Saul, knocked him off his horse, and claimed him in the power of Christ. It may be that, that, that Saul, before he was known as Paul, was seeking to come after them. Who knows? Maybe he sought to take them. And now he says, I'm sure with joy in his, in his heart and a smile on his face, they were in Christ before me. We're brothers. We're not just relatives. We're brothers and sisters. So you see a lot of his love, his heart. He's sending greeting to these two. Greet Ampliatus. Look at this, my beloved in the Lord. Now this is a fascinating story. It's, it's, we don't know for sure, but it's possible that this is the same man whose grave was found in a very prominent location in Rome years later. Um, some believe that this man was a prominent and influential slave in the emperor's household. And uh, if it's the same one, um, you, you would just rarely see that uh, slaves would only have one name in this day, okay? And you would rarely see an honored uh, gravesite like that given to a slave. So this man had great renown, great influence, and uh, if it's the same one, he was a believer. And it could be that he was a part of the Roman church and that God had broken into, in the higher ups of the known world, uh, a great influence with the gospel, even in the emperor's home. We don't know. It may be, it may not be, but it's, it's fascinating to consider. Let's go on. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. All of these different people. He's commending, encouraging. Look, ah, oh, this man's approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Probably a family member there. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis. Note, note that. He doesn't say my beloved when he's referring to a woman. He says the beloved, right? He doesn't want to start any rumors, uh, but he, he cares dearly for this older woman who has worked hard in the Lord. It's likely that she's unable to work anymore in, in, in contrast with greet those workers, current, present tense, active, ongoing in the Lord. So he speaks of his known ones here, people that he loves and cares for and blesses them with a greeting. I want to point out the family of Aristobulus and Narcissus. These are significant moments here in the gospel it's likely that Aristobulus himself is not a believer, but that Paul has identified there is a large group of believers in his home, in his household. Maybe direct family members, maybe slaves, um, or narcissists, same thing. It's likely that he's not a believer, but there are many in his home that are. And so he kind of lumps them all together and says, oh, look, look at what God's doing in the family of Aristobulus and also in Narcissus. Greet them too. We celebrate what God's doing. You remember that Jesus himself said, I come to bring a sword and I will pit 
father against child and, 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 and families will be pitted against one another and, and that was happening in this day. It happens in this day. It happens even in this church at times when God will get a hold of a wife and she will give her heart 100% to Christ and her husband says, I want nothing to do with that. Or children will be saved and the parents are like, you guys are nuts. What are you doing? We don't want that. What do you do? You run after Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. First in your heart. That's what Christ requires. First in your heart. So if your spouse is not into coming to church on Sundays, that's okay. You come. Be here no matter what. Make a, make a commitment to Christ and be with his people. Put Jesus first. This is what was taking place in, in the family of Aristobulus and Narcissus. And maybe someday God brought salvation to these two men as well. Who knows? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So much in that. Just imagine Paul coming in, the Apostle Paul, right, rolling into town. Uh, at some point along the way, they've crossed paths, and they've, they've spent time together, right? And here comes the stand-in mom. Paul, you sit down. I'm going to get some food in you, you know, whatever it was. You're looking too thin. i got to get you fattened up, and you, you know. Fill in the blanks and all of the care. Imagine a stand-in mom. Rufus's mom was like that for Paul. She took care of him. She loved him. And he sends his greetings to them. Now, this is a fascinating connection. I want to show you in uh, the, the Gospel of Mark what may be the connection with Rufus here. Uh, we know that Rufus and his mother have not always been in Rome because Paul hasn't been to Rome yet. But they're there now currently. Look at what Mark writes in chapter 15, verse 21. They compelled a passerby, as Jesus was carrying his cross, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the, uh, in from the countryside, right? The father, Mark says, of Alexander and Rufus. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, there's a Rufus. Are they the same Rufus? I think so. I think they may be. Simon of Cyrene came out of eastern Libya at this point, from Africa, and he was a Jew, and he came as a faithful Jew up to celebrate Passover, and he was there the day that everything went down. He was in the crowd, and he was, he just so happened to be, right, randomly chosen by the soldier to carry the cross of Christ, something that would have likely changed his life forever. He was chosen in the Lord, we know, to carry the cross of Christ. And it's very possible that that got a hold of his life in that day, or at least soon thereafter he was saved, and then became a partner in the work of the early church, and that his son, Rufus, was saved as well as a result. And, and his mom, apparently. So if these are the same um, Rufuses, then uh, that would be a connection that is pretty incredible to consider. Chosen in the Lord. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and all the brothers with them. He just, he's like, I don't have time to write all their names. They got a bunch of brothers. Greet them all. Then Philologus, Julia, Nurus, and his sister. Poor sister. I mean, you feel bad for her just a little bit. Like, I can't. His sister, I don't remember her name, whatever. 
and Olympus, you know, and you're, she's like, oh, I missed the cannon by one inch. And then he says, and all the saints who are with them, because whenever you start making a list, it's inevitable that you're gonna leave someone off and he doesn't wanna do that. He wants everyone to feel his love. So he includes them all, all the saints who are with them. This is quite a list, quite a list. Gospel-rooted relationships are on display. In fact, this gospel rooting has actually been intensified by the, 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 the challenge of gospel advancement. Our love for one another is only deepened as we struggle in the gospel advancing work. And we long to see more people saved. And sometimes we, we go through setbacks and we share that together. And there's rough days. And then we celebrate days like we celebrated this week together. It just deepens our joy in what we share as brothers and sisters. This list includes Jews and Gentiles. It includes young and old. It includes single people and married couples. It includes rich and poor. It includes free and bond slave. Missionaries who traveled and local church, just regular people, local church people who labored and served week after week. It's an awesome list, friends, an awesome list. It's a display of the power of the gospel to bring people together who have very little in common and make them family in the Lord. We receive your love and we overflow. That's what Paul's doing. That's what this is all about. Now, let's go to the last part of this sermon, verse 16. Some of you, when we started Romans, you're like, hey, pastor, Talk to me about Romans 16, 16, the whole holy kiss bit. Are we really going to do that? And, and yeah, you're looking for the door right now, right? Expressions of love and unity. This is how Paul finishes this week for us. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So he's representing all those he knows from all the churches he's worked with. They all say hi. We all send our love to you. We love you in Rome. But this call about greet one another with a holy kiss, what's, what's going on there? Is Paul suggesting that Christians in every location, in all times, should kiss each other every time we see each other? Is that what, have we been doing it wrong this whole time? I don't think so. I don't think so. This day was customary. In places today, it's still customary to do this. So I don't believe it is a requirement to match the expression of that, of that day and that culture. But I will say this. We should learn from it. We should at least take a cue from it. Here's what he's suggesting is not passable. You see someone, you're like, what's up? On your way into church. No, that, that, that misses it. Why? Why? because our heart is to be expressed. And there's something that happens when we come together, physical touch, more than just a nod or a look or even a smile. There's something about a holy kiss or maybe in our day, far more customary, a holy handshake. Good to see you, good morning, right? Here's what comes in that, eye contact, right? We're looking each other in the eye, a smile, good to see you. It really is. And a handshake or a holy hug. 
Some of you introverts are backing up right now, right? I get it, I get it. But there's a place for it. There is a place for it. There are people in our church who are great at this, right? Every week, they stand out to me. I, I, I had Justin Orcutt come up in the, in the first service and, 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 and demonstrate this. And uh, Visar, come on up, man, let's do this. Show, let's show the people what we do every week, okay? This was just, this, uh, this is what we do. All right, so I see Visar, hold on. I see, it. look at that. You see that smile? That's how I know he's coming for me, all right? He's coming in, yeah, what's up, man? Good to see you. Yes, and then what do we do? We talk. We talk, we catch up. What's happening in that moment? Love. Love for a brother, that's what's happening. Good work, man, good, good job. All right. Look at all that's taking place. I've missed you, right? I've missed you. It's been a whole week many times for most of us on Sundays. You matter to me. I care about you. You you matter to me. It truly is good to see you. How are you doing? I am interested in you. I want to know. Talk to me. Let's catch up, right? All of that takes place in a greeting. We don't just do this because we do this. That's not good enough for Paul. There's a purpose, a goal, and that's love. That's love. So I think we can gain from this encouragement and and work at this even all the more, right? Uh, For for guys, maybe it's a holy bro hug. Uh, For the ladies, I want to mention this. Guys, just be aware, okay? If you go and you hug a woman that's not your wife, you need to be sensitive about, uh, you know, not over-communicating your love for your sister. So here's what I recommend. A holy side hug. Good morning. It's good to see you, right? I care about you. I see you. We don't have to stand away and be like, oh, man, it's not my wife. No, you can go over. Hey, good to see you. How are you? Talk to me. Holy side hug, right? There's ways to communicate our love for one another. We're family. We're family. What doesn't work is cold, distant, uninterested. I'm not, I, I'm not gonna look beyond myself. That's not who we are. I'll tell you this. When we were on sabbatical, we visited a lot of different churches. And some of the experiences we had in the churches we visited were appalling. We walked in, we didn't know anybody. I get it, right? No one's gonna come give me a bear hug. They don't know me. That would freak me out, okay? But in some of these churches, we didn't exist. People looked right through me to go and talk with people they knew. I was like invisible. I looked at Jenny and I'm like, what did we do? Like, is, is, it, is it that I'm wearing jeans? Or is it, you know, what's wrong here? Praise God that at Good Shepherd, that's not what I hear reported often. I often hear, what a warm and welcoming church. That's what Paul's getting at right? We're family. Welcome one another. Folks you don't know, go up. Get a handshake in. How you doing? My name's Jeremy. Are you new here? They might be like, I've come here for years. That's okay too. That's okay. We love one another and we demonstrate that love. There are are expressions of love that fit well believer to believer an unbreakable and everlasting bond. So our response this morning, just a couple things. 
The witness of a heartfelt welcome is significant. In fact, Christians in Paul's day, it is said, got a reputation about this holy kiss and there was all kinds of false accusations. Of course, they thought they were cannibals, right? Because they were, they were taking communion, eating the body and blood of Christ. That was the accusation. The other bunch of cannibals. And then they heard about the holy kiss thing and, and, and they were making other accusations, which were not true, okay? But the, the fact of the matter is, is that there was a witness that was being communicated in the way they showed love for one another, the way they cared for one another. The world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So next time you're in Costco and you see someone from our church, let it rip. Don't hold back. Like, run. (laughs) Big hug. All right. And men, for your wives, today especially, holy kiss, okay? Sermon application, holy kiss. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these verses. Oh, so much in these verses. So many people, real people, actual people who lived on this earth, who ministered in the same gospel that we carry today. Thank you for the way you use just regular, ordinary people like us. Thank you for the way you knit us together to be a family, to be one. And Lord, we pray that you would use our love for one another to to proclaim the gospel in this county. I pray that we would all the more demonstrate this love for one another in all kinds of ways. But I pray, Father, at the end of the day that you would be glorified. We love that that you have lavished your love upon us. We receive it and we overflow it to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.